0: This morning's scripture reading will be Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 13. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 13. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, We do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I, the children of God has given me. This is the word of the Lord.
1: To Ron, so he can hear. Yeah. Thank you, thank you Millie. I had to read Hebrews uh, chapter 2, these verses here in Hebrews, uh, as a background to where we're going this morning back in Ephesians. Because what it is, it is a proclamation from even the heavenly hosts that are saying, who, who is man that you're mindful of him? This, this one that you've made of the dust, what, what, what is the big deal uh, for this man? And then it ends in those verses of, of uh, in fact, there's a heading in my Bible that says, bringing many sons to glory. So it's a picture of lowly man made from the dust of the earth and God is going to bring him into a relationship with himself That is equal in privilege and power and all the rest to his son. We are going to be brothers of Christ. He makes us his brothers. And so uh, that is a fantastic backdrop to what is being explained to us in the book of Ephesians. So if you'll turn with me there, we'll go back to Ephesians chapter 1. podiums. Hold my notes. Thank you, Elijah, for your drawing Um, and turning your bulletins and see this. This is a lowly man, but rejoicing in the Creator. Uh, The fishing looks like it's going to be good. Uh, The turkey looks like it might get burnt because the man is sleeping next to the fire over there. Um, but isn't it awesome that God would create us, give us this creation around us, love us even though we fall into sin and then make a way for us to be back to him in glory and experience the relationship with him. That is, that is an awesome truth of scripture. As we started out in Ephesians our premise has been this, I'll remind you, that uh, in chapters four, five, and six, we're going to get instruction on how to live the Christian life. And the premise has been that in order to live that Christian life, the way God wants us to, to live it, we must live first in Ephesians chapter one, two, and three. We must understand, meditate on, uh, absorb the truths of God's Word as who we are in Christ. And I would say this morning as Jeff Mann came up in front of us to do communion that my heart was thrilled. Um, Looking back in life, uh, as often we do as we get into this stage of life, we look back on, and uh, especially on young people who um, have dedicated their life in Christ. We've seen them in Sunday school, we've seen them at camp, we've, we've seen them Get married. We've seen them raise their children, or in the process of raising their children, and then going through the struggles of, of, of life. And um, clogged up sewer pipes, um, although might seem trivial uh, problem when you're experiencing it, and got 14 babies like they have at home, trying to, <laughs> <laughs> trying to keep them clean, change diapers, and all the rest. Uh, it's a, it's a pain. But what Jeff said couldn't have been more fitting to what we're talking about this morning in this portion of Scripture. It is living in the presence of Christ and knowing who we are in Christ that causes a response in our heart to be obedient to Him. So as you're struggling over even the mundane troubles and maybe some very unmundane troubles in life, uh, terrible health situations or terrible family situations or or a terrible financial situation, whatever they might be as we're struggling through those things in life that come under the sun because we're all under the sun and the Lord tells us the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike and drought falls on them too. And... So those things are just going to come, because we're humans living on in a fallen universe and a fallen world. But what he wants us to realize that as we're in there, who we are in Christ, who we are. And because of who we are, we can have um, a motivation to live right. We can have the energy. To live right, we can have the power to follow our Lord and be obedient to Him, and that's where we are today in, in the book of Ephesians. And I'll read a quote uh, from a fellow that um, from a um, a theologian on um, who's commenting on this book of Ephesians. And as I was reading uh, through this book and studying the Scripture, I read I wrote this. This is this is me. You can quote this. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> only when we know who we are can we live like who we are. I might have borrowed that from somebody. I don't know. Only when we know who we are can we live like who we are. You've got, you got to know it. I often think back of cowboy stories and things like that where the person had to be reminded that they were writing for the brand. What they were doing out there was not for themselves but was for the company that they were writing for, the ranch that they were writing for. We've got to know who we are. Um, This theologian said it this way, Until we comprehend who we truly are in Jesus Christ, it is impossible to live an obedient and fulfilling life. Only when we know who we really are can we live like who we are. Oh, there's where I got it. (laughs) Thought it was mine. It was his. Only when we come to understand how our lives are anchored in eternity can we have the right perspective and motivation for living in time. Only when we come to understand our heavenly citizenship can we live obedient and productive lives as godly citizens on earth. So knowing our citizenship in heaven, knowing our relationship with Christ, knowing what He's already done for us, knowing that our sins are forgiven, knowing that He's nailed Him to the tree, knowing who we are in Christ gives us the motivation to be obedient. And it comes out of gratefulness and thankfulness and the realization that God has done some amazing things for us. Turn with me, um, I think you're already there, and I'll try to get a little arrangement here so I can read both my notes and the and the Bible. Turn back with me uh, chapter 1 in Ephesians, and I, I, we want to rehearse where we've come this far. I, I wrote this little prayer and had it put up again today because... I believe this kind of encompasses everything that I understand about knowing scripture and knowing who I am. I pray that we may see him so clearly, understand him so deeply, enjoy him so thoroughly, delight in him so fully, love him so completely that I will obey him so perfectly. As we read through scripture, As we study scripture, maybe it's in a home group, or maybe it's in your devotions, or or maybe it's in in another Bible study somewhere. As you read through and study, are you seeing Christ in it? You should be seeing Christ from Genesis to Revelation. You study in the Old Testament, it's all about Christ. It's all about uh, our salvation that's going to be worked out through history, through the Jewish people, and finally to the cross in Christ. It all points to the cross, from Genesis to Revelation. It points to the cross, and so as we study Scripture, we should be seeing Christ more clearly. And as we see him more clearly and understand him more, then I think the thing that comes happens in our life is that we enjoy him. Uh, We. We read about, and we'll be looking at these things in review here this morning, but as we look at them, it should cause a sense of joy. It should cause a sense of delight in our lives because this is what Christ has done for us. This is who we are in Christ. And because of that, then it motivates us to uh, please him and obey him and follow his instructions. So let's go back here this morning and verse 4 in Ephesians chapter 1, and I have a list of six things here that come up through these verses. It says in verse 4, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. This is the idea that our salvation is rooted in eternity past. He has worked out this plan for man's salvation before He even founded the world. He has worked out the plan for Christ to go to the cross before he even found the world. And it delights me to know that in the mind of God, there I was, even before I was born, that he loves me. But here's the important part of this, and this is something that is really hard for me to grasp. Why did he do that? What does it say there? That I would be holy and blameless before him holy and blameless. Now, I've been thinking about this a little bit. I don't know about you, but it is hard to imagine being blameless. How many of you are married? (laughs) We live in a world, I I live in a world, whether, whether it's family, whether it's business, whether it's something with my neighbor, whether it's something with my children, my wife. Is that my fault? Did I do that? Was it a mistake? Was it inadvertent or was I just being ornery? Uh, blame. It, it is hard to imagine living in a relationship for eternity where we're never in trouble. You know what I mean? Not, no, no trouble. It's not your fault. There is no fault. There is no blame. I, I mean, he has to really change me somewhere along this line but that's the way he sees me now. That's, that's not my normal living experience. Whether it's in my daily job or duties or whatever, did I, did I forget this? Did I leave this out? Did I, could I have done it better? Oh, my, you know. Do, do, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one, but I feel like I, I kind of live under Easy to blame. Maybe you don't. But I do. I, I, do. I, I, I sense that, uh, did, I, did I get all that done? Did I do that right? Did I, Could I have done it better? Da, 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 da. And, and if it doesn't turn out quite right, it's my fault or whatever. Raising your children. Yeah. You go, I mean, how much blame, you know, I mean, you can take a lot of blame there. And, you know, it's okay. We make bad judgment. We make mistakes. We are willfully wrong many times. So there's blame. To go, there's plenty of blame to go around for everybody. But in eternity and before the Lord right now, We are holy and blameless. Now that to me is a hard truth to get my mind wrapped around. But it is a glorious truth that would leads me to want to be obedient to him because he holds me blameless. He sees me as holy. We sang in in the song. Christ paid the penalty for those things. The just has been satisfied. I'm not under blame anymore. What a tremendous, freeing relationship we can have with our God if we just believe this. We just understand it and believe it and live in it. Glorious truth. Look at verse 5. It says, in love he predestined us to adoption as sons. This, when you study this idea of adoption and bringing us into the family of God, I just have to say, God, wait, 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 wait. Are you sure you want me in the family? I know my heart. I know my selfishness. I, 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 really? You want me to? And then he says, I don't only really want you in the family. I'm going to have you be a joint heir with Jesus, my son. And the riches and the blessings that I've given to Christ, I'm going to give to you. (laughs) I go, really? Really? I have a hard time believing that. Well, I just read it and I believe the scripture, but I'm having a hard time believing it the way I want to believe it in my heart. that he just accepts me as an adopted son. Accepts you as a woman, as an adopted daughter, if you want to call it that. His child, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel the Sod, the song says. Get a hold of that. How do I get a hold of that in my mind? I I need to get up every morning and and look at that and say, really, truly, a joint heir with Jesus right now? Wow, that, that, that makes me want to be obedient. That makes me want to act like his son because that's who I am. So, I, well, how do we live here, Lord? How, how's this family work? How's it live? Well, t- tell me, give me some instructions on how this family lives, because I, 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 I'm being you've made me part of this family. I want to, I want to, I want to follow through on it. And he says, "Well, get in chapters four, five, and six, and I'm going to give you instructions how we live in this family." Yeah. Well, okay then. That's a different approach to chapters 4, 5, and 6 than here, here's what you're supposed to do, and you better do it, and you da 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 da, da. Some kind of religious interpretation of all those things. No. It's a, it's a family interpretation of those things. This is the way the family lives. This is who the father is. This is who you are. Now you live according to that family. And you go, you know what? I want to. I want to, I want to do that. Verse 7. Try to pick it up. It's kind of chopped up in my Bible. In verse 6 it says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us and the beloved in Him, verse 7, we have redemption through His blood. And And I'm looking at these things and I'm going... You, you want me to be holy and blameless. You're going you're gonna to create me to be holy and blameless. Yes. You're going to adopt me as your son. Yes. How are we going to get there? He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You once belonged to me. As we look back to the garden of Adam and Eve, you once were my creation that belonged to me, and you were perfect in your creation, Which which is a whole other area that Blows my mind to think about what Adam and Eve must have been like. When God said, That is good, and then at the end, He said, That is very good. Huh. I was just reading something here not too long ago about the young earth, and and, uh, it seems that some of our ancestors had 18% more brain capacity than we did than we do today we aren't going this way we're going that way but I think about that and I think what what Adam and Eve what when God creates them perfectly did did they have a photographic memory well I'm sure they did because that shows up today it doesn't show up in my family but it shows up in some of your family photographic memory Uh, what what, what do you think the body looked like probably a little different than mine Yeah. Perfect. He said, that's very good. And I'm wondering, because we don't have a time sequence between that time and when they fell, how much they enjoyed that perfection that He created them in. Wow. But he said, You fell. You were mine, but now you're Satan's. That's what he tells us. You're of the father of the devil. You're out of my family. You've got to get back in the family. And I say, I want to get back in the family, Lord. I want to get in the family. What's it going to take? And he said, well, that takes my precious blood on the cross. And I look at that and I go... God's not a bargain hunter. That's not a very good bargain. He gets me, he gets you, he gets you, he gets you for his blood on the cross. For that, life, death, shame, separated from the Father, what's he get? He gets you, he gets me, he gets other believers. I'm going to buy you back. And I'm going to do it with my blood. I'm going to do it with my death. I'm going to do it with that ridicule and that shame. I'm going to do it with going to that cross and having that sin placed upon me when I, when I face the Father and He, all of a sudden as I am paying the price, he, I can't see him anymore. And I cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the price he pays for you and me. That's no bargain. But that's a love of mercy and grace that is so huge, so big, so awesome, I don't know how to explain it. But I'll tell you what. It makes me want to obey him. It makes me want to please him. Because that's the price he paid for me. Wow. Is that awesome? Verse 7 says, Also, he not only redeemed me, but he forgives my sin. Now, I happen to know a few family situations in my life. Some of them are in my tree. Some of them are in your tree. And I know that forgiveness sometimes does not come very easy. In fact, it can last for generations. Non-forgiveness. Grudges can be held from things that happened so long ago that they can't even remember the setting. And some of them were so bitter and so sharp at the time and hurt so deeply that it's just hard to forget and forgive. It just feels much better if I can just pull it up from time to time and go, someday, I either need to get even or God needs to get even because I can't let go of this offense. And God says I not only forgive your past sins I not only forgive your present sins but I forgive your future sins. Boy. And then he makes Ridiculous statements in Scripture like, if I did that for you, why don't you do that for somebody else? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Makes me want to obey when I see what he's done for me. See, that's what we're talking about here. When we see him clearly, when we understand him deeply, and you're only going to do that through the word, We can begin to enjoy him thoroughly. We can begin to delight in him fully. And then we can begin to love him completely. And then our obedience can be better and better as we understand these truths his forgiveness. In verse 13 and 14, he says this in 13, in him you also have been. Also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Do you remember what Isaiah said when God appeared to him in a vision? What was the one word that kind of sticks out in your mind as you think back on that? Whoa. The W-O-E word. Whoa, 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 whoa! What was me? What? I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinner. And and here we're reading that he is going to, in person, dwell with us. Now, how does a holy God, in the person of the Holy Spirit? Dwell in this person. That takes us back to where we started in Ephesians. Because you are a new creature in Christ. The old things have been done away with. You are born again. You are holy and sinless before God. That's the only reason, the only way that the Holy Spirit could come in and indwell you. Because you're a new person. Do you live in the old contaminated house yet? Yes, of course you do. We all know that. We all know the temptation to sin. We all know that. But God says that's the old house you live in, but you are my son, my daughter. You are holy and blameless before me. My Holy Spirit will move into your life and live with you and guide you and give you direction. And you go, seriously? The Holy Spirit will take your word and help me to understand it. That's what's coming in the next next lessons. I think that's Derek. The next Sunday's. The Holy Spirit is going to enlighten me. It's gonna give me direction. It's gonna convict me. It's Gonna take the word. You're gonna actually live with me? Yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. Well, in that case, I want to be obedient. I want to live for you in that case. You're going to be with me all the time. You're going to help me. You're going to guide me. You know how weak I am. You know, yeah, yeah, I I know all those things. I know the house you live in, and it it ain't pretty. But we're building a, a new person here. We're sanctifying a new person. We're changing you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And you're going to be that forever. Well, in that case, I think I want to cooperate. And then he ends up with this. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of your inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory right up a little before that he said it's uh, in verse in him in verse 11 also you have obtained an inheritance you have eternity in this relationship this holy and blameless relationship with Christ you have eternity to spend with him and the others that, that are in the body of Christ eternity eternity he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth now as we've thought on those things this morning, does that help you see him more clearly? Does that help you delight in him? Does that bring joy to your life? I hope it does. You know what Paul's response to that, to that as he writes that? He says it two times right here. He says in the end of verse 14, to the praise of his glory to the praise of his glory. That's, that's, what, that's his response to all this revelation that he's received from, from God about what's the whole salvation plan for man is. He said it's to the praise of his glory. I, I, I don't know any, way, any other way to say it. It's to say, sing, wh- however you want to do it, how great a God this is that would do this for to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Our salvation is to the praise of God's glory. That's why you go back to Hebrews where we were and the angels and what have you were saying, "Uh, what is man that you're mindful of him? And God says, not only am I mindful of him, I'm going to make him holy and blameless and live with him forever in perfect fellowship. And the angels are going, oh no, that's too much. But Paul says, to the praise of his glory. It's to the praise of his glory. That's why last Sunday I took us back to creation. Because creation is to the praise of his glory. Uh, we have um, some more of those DVDs out on the table. If, if you want one, uh, please pick them up. Uh, Jack has also put a couple magazines out there that you can um, uh, look at and subscribe to if you want to get caught up a little better on what's going on in this world and in the science world about creation. Uh, I mentioned uh, last Sunday, and I I just want to comment on this for a few moments because there were some questions about it. I said, I I believe in a young earth. and if you take Scripture and you take no other, out, no other influences, you just take the Bible and you read it and you interpret it the way it's normally to be interpreted, you get a six-day creation, six days. There's three ways the word day is used in Scripture. One is a 24-hour period. One is a time, like you might say, in that day, looking back to the past, you could say, well, in that day we did this. It's used that way sometimes. It's also used as the difference between night and day. Those are the three ways it's used in Scripture. That's the only three ways it's used. And every time it's ever used with a number in front of it or associated with it, one day, two days, four days, 26 days, 40 days ago, every time that's a 24-hour day. So if you read through Scripture as it's normally to be interpreted, you end up with six days of creation. Six days. Six rotations of the earth, if you will. Even some of those rotations before he made the sun and the moon. As you look at the Genesis account. The other thing that you read, if you just read Scripture for what it's worth, you'll go back through the genealogies and you, only go, you won't go back that far. At the very most, you would go back as eight, 10,000 years. That's a, that's a stretch. And most Bible scholars think it's less than that in that genealogy. So if, if I am just taking the information from the Bible and studying it and reading it like I normally would, I come up with a young earth and the six days of creation. Now, what would change that? What would change that would be if there was a body of truth or information that was so overwhelming to say something different, then I might look at that body of truth and then compare it to scripture and if I was convinced that this body of truth was absolutely true, and I look at scripture and it's absolutely true, then I'd have to start monkeying around with scripture a little bit to fit this into it. And so I might think a day is an age or, an age or whatever. I've tried all that and it didn't help anyway, but that's what, that's what would happen. Then that's what happens. Either you um, believe this body of truth or you believe this one, or you believe this one, and you have to monkey around. You believe this one, but you have to monkey around with it and chop it up and do some of the funny things with it. Okay? So, I happen to believe that the body of truth, in parentheses, is not overwhelmingly on the side of an old earth. In fact, I happen to believe that the body of truth in real science is overwhelmingly in the favor of a young earth. Now, this is not a lecture on that. Mm, I wouldn't do that. I would depend on other people's research and whatnot to do that. But I will tell you this, that if it interests you, do this. Get on your computer, go to YouTube, and type in young earth. And you're going to find a number of Videos there, a number of things. One of them you'll find is by a fellow by the name of Dr. Grady. And uh, you'll be interested to see some of the things. Let me just give you a hint about one thing. I did this years ago. Uniformitarianism is the idea that you can measure something at this rate and extrapolate back and see how long this has been going on. And when I visited the Colorado Grand Canyon, I read the thing there, and it said there's so much sediment going down the river right now, and so if, I, if we measure that this year and we extrapolate it back, uh, we will go back to how many million years? Okay, That's called uniformitarianism. You will be surprised to know that uniformitarianism is probably one of the strongest arguments for a young earth there is. Because when you start measuring certain things scientifically and trying to extrapolate them back or forward, you're going to find out some very interesting things about this earth. I'm not going there now. But I do want to say this, because I think this is important. Before you monkey with scripture and try to figure out how this stuff over here that we're talking about fits in here. You better make very sure of what you're talking about here. Because if you don't, here's the consequences. You, you, and if you have children, you teach your children that this is authoritative, but so is this. And so then eventually you send them off to school to a bunch of these folks. And your children have already learned in your own home that you think these people have authority because you have compromised what you think about Scripture because of what they have told you. So you've already taught your children that these people have as much authority or influence on this as it does. I don't think that's a stretch. And then the next thing that happens, they also believe those people about other things pretty, pretty quickly. Sin comes up. There's a whole bunch of different opinions over here about that than about here. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. Okay. Here's the exercise that we end with. Remember a few months ago, or some time ago, I said, wake up every morning and ask yourself this question. What are Jesus and I going to do today? I have the answer for it today. I have the answer. And I want you to say the answer. Okay? Now, if you're like me, I sit in an audience many times and the speaker says, say this. I never say that. They say, raise your hand. I never say that. I, never, I just don't do that. I don't like that. Don't tell me what to do. But I'm going to tell you anyway this morning, okay? okay? I'm going to give you a statement, and you say, to the praise of his glory. The eternal plan of God was to save me that I might be holy and blameless. To the praise of his glory. I was adopted as a child of God. I was redeemed. I was bought with a price. I was brought by the precious blood of Jesus. To the praise of his glory. My sins were nailed to the cross. They were forgiven past, present, and future. Sins were forgiven by Jesus to the praise of his glory. I'm now indwelt and guided and directed by the Holy Spirit of God to praise the praise of his glory. I have a forever home. I am going to be in eternity with all for all eternity with Jesus and other believers, and I'm going to be holy and blameless and enjoying that forever too. Praise yeah. To the praise of his glory. Our Father in our heaven, I thank you for the word that you make so plain to us. I pray that as we see you more clearly and understand you and enjoy you and delight in you and love you, that our obedience will just be a thing of nature. It'll be a want to. It'll be a God, how can I please you? God, I am so thankful for your forgiveness. How can I forgive others? Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst. Thank you that by understanding and getting insight into your word through the the study and through the direction of the Holy Spirit, We can understand you better and love you more. And we'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.